Welcome to The Gathering Place, a Blessed is She podcast. We're so glad you're here. Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Hey, Jenna. Hi, Beth. How are you, friend? Great. How are you? Wow. Couldn't be better. Wow. We're here with Michael Miller, and we've been waiting. We've been so excited to get to chat with him. Hi, Michael. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for the wait. Well, I am pumped to be with you guys. I am so excited to be here. Thank you. Uh, Michael, would you be willing to introduce yourself to our listeners? Of course. My name is Michael Miller. I reside in Dallas, Texas with my wife. I have four beautiful kids, nine and under. Two girls are the oldest, two boys are the youngest. And then I'm the senior pastor of Upper Room, a church in Dallas that uh, my wife and I planted in 2010. And so we are celebrating our 12th year this year. And we uh, are a primarily a prayer house, uh, which that might be new language for some people, but we uh, gather, our primary expression of community is gathering morning, noon, and night um, in prayer. And so we have thousands of people that pray uh, weekend and week out at the upper room. And um, it's been such a cool journey to see what God's done um, there in our community. Yeah, it's been a huge blessing to us. I, our staff here, we come in, we're all got our headphones on. Everybody's just listening to the prayer room, <laughs> praying right along with you. Yeah, I I just loved this experience of being invited into daily prayer. Mm-hmm. And that's really what has been a game changer mm-hmm. for me is that I feel like when I turn on the prayer room, I'm entering into like a really sacred space of an invitation into my own prayer. So not ever that I'm spectating or that I'm watching people pray, which I feel like can happen sometimes when, whenever you watch something online or or even when you participate in something, it can feel like you're a spectator. You're not necessarily invited in. And I think in the prayer realm, it's such a beautiful invitation into like this is an invitation for all of us to worship the Lord, not watch other people worship him, Mm -hmm. not watch other people say amazing things about him or ask for intercession or or ask for healing, et cetera, but that this is something I'm invited into. And my heart is so drawn to that and is very easily just opened in that Mm -hmm. environment. My heart is open to the Lord and it's just been such an incredible journey for me. It's been such a gift to me personally to have the prayer room to enter into online. And then Beth and I also went there. Yeah. Was it last year? Two years ago. Two years. Yeah. Two years ago, we came to Dallas visiting some friends and then came to the upper room and it was really rad. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for just following the Lord's promptings in, in creating that and what you guys have offered mm-hmm. to the wider church has just been such an incredible gift. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool. Well, I'll never forget because there was a moment in worship that ended up on one of the albums oh, yeah. where Alyssa was singing Open the Scrolls. We were there for that service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Open the scrolls, break the seals. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I was there. Was I there? No, I, I think you I weren't that. there. It's such a cool moment because it encapsulates Re- uh, Revelation 5, mm-hmm. uh, just that depiction of the Lord, all of heaven, 
looking who's going to open the seal. John begins crying and realizing the worthiness of Jesus. Mm. And, and so I don't know how that came into the flow of that, but it's such a beautiful depiction of Revelation 5. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's been so beautiful to understand about worship music in general is just, and you guys, again, do it so beautifully so well, is we're just praying scripture. Mm. We're simply reading scripture and and praying with it and worshiping with it. And it's really incredible to see that that scripture can become a prayer of of song of worship. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that's a truth that not enough of us know. Some people I think think like worship songs are made up. I don't know. Just our feelings or, you know, super charismatic. They get kind of pigeonholed into that Mm -hmm. when really they're, they're declaring and agreeing with God's word. Right. I think, um, we, we call it a singing seminary hmm. where we want to sing the Bible. And so we've, we've realized that the Bible is our songbook, hmm. that the Psalms are, the majority of them are songs. And so when we are singing God's word back to God, God tends to respond to that. And there's also just some prescriptives. I love that you said, you know, I think I think there is a lot of needed revelation around what worship is. In songs specifically, we do sing many that are focused on us, many that are focused on what he can do for me, many that are focused on where we put ourselves at the center or what we need at the center versus who he is. Yes. That type of expression, songs that declare his nature, his character, mm-hmm. songs that are connected to him, where we're not, we're singing, you are holy, you are worthy, where we're singing those things to him. Um, there's just a, a, a real tangible anointing. The Holy Spirit really comes in, in, in unique ways as we, we declare those things to him. Mm-hmm. So that's beautiful that you said that. I think what's so powerful about declaring that about the Lord is that it's only in our realization of who he is that we can ever understand who we are and what he's done for us. So Mm. I think that that's just such an incredible thing that I've experienced is just this understanding of total surrender and worship to this God who created me. And and it's never about me. It's always Mm. about him. Mm -hmm. And because Mm. of that, I know who I am, whose I am, and I can live from that truth. Mm, amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's in first John four. It says, as he is, so are we, mm. as we behold him, we become like him. Yeah. Uh, as we declare, you are holy Lord. He declares we're holy mm-hmm. because we're his. Yes. You are righteous Lord. And I made you righteous. Yeah. You are worthy Lord. And because of the blood, you are worthy too. And mm-hmm. I think the, his identity establishes ours. Yeah. And um, and I think I think it's beautiful. Just as we behold him, we become like him. Mm-hmm. We look in Second Corinthians three seventeen and eighteen that we behold him and we're transformed uh, into his image from glory to glory. It's this beautiful depiction of what it means to worship and uh, behold Jesus. There's no one like him. Yeah, you can't help but fall in love with Jesus mm-hmm. when you encounter him. When the truth of who he is and his presence. Um, and I, I would love to hear, Michael, about how you encountered the Lord, a uh, little bit about your story, your conversion. Yeah. 
I grew up in a tradition called the Churches of Christ, mm. which is a fairly conservative tradition. And I grew up really having a great love and honor for the word mm. and for community. Those were mm. two things that I just remember my whole life. I had the Bible and I had community, the Church of Christ community. But I didn't actually develop a relationship with the person of Christ. Uh, it was more of a belief system and of a church I was affiliated with, but my life really hadn't been transformed by the gospel. Mm. But it was uh, my junior year, I was playing sports at a a college in uh, West Texas, and I just had a sovereign encounter with the Lord. I was taking Maymester, uh, some business economics class for the umpteenth time. I wasn't the best student. And I remember I was alone for the first time. I was uh, in an apartment that a buddy Mm. had had rented out, but he hadn't furnished yet. So there was nothing in the apartment. I remember sitting down, all my friends were gone. I was alone and this pain and ache in my heart started to arise. And I just realized how much I had suppressed, how much I had just stuffed pain in my soul. And, uh, and as I just started to become aware of that, it was as if the Lord himself came into that apartment. I, I didn't see him, didn't hear him, but I knew that the Holy Spirit was there. And I had I had enough Bible knowledge to know who he was and what he was asking of me. And I remember just crying out, just saying, Jesus, I, I don't want this anymore. I'm 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 hurting. I had a lot of sexual brokenness, had a lot of just yuck that again just suppressed this pain and hid this pain. And and I remember when I cried out to him, just this sense of love mm. and peace. Filled my heart. I felt like I was before someone that knew everything about me and yet loved me. And um, I knew he was asking me to follow him. I knew that my life would never be the same, but I had no idea what following him would look like because I had built so much around sports and social stuff. And I just knew that needed to change if I was going to follow the Lord. And so I remember telling the Lord this one phrase, and I still tell it to him to this day. This is 20 plus years later. And and it's this, it's, it's Lord, I don't have everything together, but I will give you tomorrow. (laughs) I'll give you my next day. And that one day turned into two, turned into seven, turned into a month. And I developed this history with just surrendering my life daily to the Lord And uh, looking back now, after 20 years of that daily surrender, I cannot (laughs) believe what he's done in my life. I am new creation, truly. And uh, just give glory to Jesus every day for saving me Mm -hmm. and wanting to love me and wanting to walk with me and wanting to be a part of my marriage, wanting to be a Mm -hmm. part of my parenting, wanting to be a part of my ministry. Like, I'm just still so... Uh, moved by his intentionality, his love and his nearness. There's just no one like Jesus. There's just no one loves us like he loves and mm-hmm. knows what he knows. And yet he still loves us. Yeah. And it just, it just, it's so, it's just so life changing uh, when you encounter the love of Jesus. It's so funny. I can just see my little self <laughs> as a teenager having such a similar experience of recognizing that he knew all of it and he still loved me and he was there in all of it and he still chooses me and he still wants me. And it just reminds me so much of the 
compelling love of Jesus that we want to drop everything to follow him, mm-hmm. that you like made that decision without even recognizing all of the consequences that would come from that, or maybe recognizing it and, and still choosing it. But that yeah. there is just this truth that once we realize who Jesus is, mm-hmm. um, once we understand his love, we want to do nothing but to drop everything and follow him. And I think that that's just such a a profound truth, I guess, that he always asks for more. He asks Mm. for a change. He asks for a transformation Mm. in us. And I think oftentimes Mm. we can lose sight of that or or we almost don't even believe that for other people. I think Mm. that might be something that hinders us from, from talking about the Lord is a fear of if I share about the Lord, about his love, what will that require of that person? And will they offer it to him? Like, let's say like someone who doesn't even know the Lord at all Mm. to be able to say, well, if I share about him, what will the Lord require of him? And I'm scared that they'll reject that. I think it's the, you know, it's the only thing that works. I think we actually do a disservice by not presenting that on the front end. Yeah. Um, I, I think he is not asking us to do anything that he has not already done. Mm. And he gave his life so we could give ours. And it, it's actually by losing our life that we find life. Mm. It's not this compromised, like compartmentalized Jesus. Jesus isn't a part of our lives. Jesus becomes our life. And I think because we've watered the gospel down, because we've, especially with youth today, I don't know how it was in the tradition that y'all grew up in, but in mine, it's like, you know, they would get us to come to church by feeding us pizza, by games, and it was all, anything yeah. to get us there. And then it was kind of a, a pretty sugary gospel. And I feel like what I'm seeing millennials specifically respond to is a gospel that it teaches them to die to themselves. Yeah. It teaches them to pick up their cross. I think they're looking for a cause and a call mm, yeah. to give their life to. And Christianity just hasn't, we haven't presented the the cost. There is a cost to following the Lord and it's everything. But in order to discover life and to discover everything he is, you're just not going to get there by, by being, you know, here's my 2% Lord. Here's yeah. my 5%. And he wants it all. And he gave it all. And so anyways, I, I hear what you're saying in that. But I think look at the rich young ruler. He, Jesus said, hey, you're going to have to sell everything. Yeah. There's just, I think, those moments where we cross over the threshold. That's a really, really, I think, profound tension. It's an eternal mm-hmm. one. Well, and I think what you described of this kind of watered down gospel out of our own fear that it's too much, that they're not ready for it. Ultimately, this is why people have found the gospel wanting, because they've never been presented with Mm. the true gospel. They've been presented a way of life that will supposedly make their life better. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of ways, (laughs) Jesus sometimes makes our life a lot harder. We're going another way. Mm. We're rejecting a Mm. popular culture. He's going to ask for things that Mm. are not for our good, but that feel very good. So I think people walk away because they haven't been told it's worth everything. It is so true. The yeah. crucified life, learning to die mm. daily yeah. from 
cultural persecution to, you know, I, I was talking to a good friend this morning who, who pastors in the Arab and he pastors a church in Bethlehem wow. and uh, he has been beaten for his faith. He has literally, he was discipling a Muslim, prominent Muslim in his wow. community who converted to Christianity. It was a youth. The authorities in the Muslim community learned that he was discipling this young man in Christianity to give his life to, and they beat the tar out of this pastor. And the pastor said, as he was being beaten, it, it, he said it was excruciating, but all he could do was thank the Lord mm. for the honor wow. to be beaten for him. And I, wow. he was like, it's strange for me to even say it, wow. but in the moment, all I could sense was gratitude that I could suffer and share in the sufferings with the Lord. And I was just like, man, I, I can't fathom that. I can't yeah, yeah. fathom living in a culture where if I disciple someone else that I would be beaten, but... There's so many that have preceded us and even on the earth today that are facing those realities, mm. but they taste a grace of God. Mm. I think that's only afforded when they choose to go across that threshold and choose mm-hmm. to disciple regardless of the cost, choose to share the gospel regardless of the cost. And again, he's not asking us to do anything that he did not do. Yes. Could we back up to your story for just a moment? Because I'm curious from that encounter in your apartment, All the things that came together for you in that moment, surely there was tremendous grace to kind of propel you into the next step. But what did you do next? Who was there to walk with you or or unpack that? Because Mm. sometimes in my experience, I've had this encounter with the Lord and there maybe haven't been people who understand that, who like speak that language or even know what to do with me. I'd love to know what happened for you next. That's a great question. It was the summer before my senior year in college. And so I was president of my fraternity. And this was the kind of fraternity that if you were the president of, you didn't want to get born again and then be the president of this group. Like they'd been kicked off campus for hazing. Like they were just kind of the good old boys, but they were a little wild. And so I was fortunate enough that it happened early in the summer. And so I was working at a camp and I remember just continuing to tell the Lord each and every day, I'm going to, I'm going to give you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And it was just he and I during that season. Uh, When I got back, I immediately uh, took my best friends out and I said, Hey, I I need to tell you when, when I got back to Mm -hmm. college, um, was starting out that new, new, new semester. I, I took my best friends out and just boldly told them, this is what's happened. This is what I'm choosing to do. I didn't sugarcoat. I just laid it out. that wow. I'm a different guy. And fortunately, one of them had had a similar experience. Wow. We actually began a really cool Bible study in our living room on Tuesday nights. It was just the two of us. And it went from two that over the next couple of months, it went to dozens of guys mm-hmm. gathering. And we started a Bible study, praying together, confessing sin. It was just really, really powerful. Yeah, it was just a sovereign thing. I also had some connections at my university with some people that were older than me. I got to go and submit to them and they helped disciple and answer questions. And so that was helpful as well. Yeah. I'm personally very curious to ask you a question. I would love to know in your life now, in your ministry, at the church, how do you know who to walk with? How do you discern? There are so many people as a father you're discipling your children, you have staff, you have friends. I'm sure there are many people who reach out and ask you to walk with them. 
you know, to your earlier point about just giving the Lord one day at a time, we know that it happens over time. This like surrender of a life happens over time, one day at a time, one encounter at a time. So it takes some ongoing investment, right? And I'm just curious with with so many people, I'm sure, I can imagine, uh, just wanting to learn from you who have also maybe similarly had an encounter and want to be discipled. How do you discern who to walk with? Right. It's a great question. I think for pastors, especially young leaders, Mm -hmm. I kind of have circles uh, I have my family, which is um, the circle of mm-hmm. circles. Uh, my marriage, my wife is is number one. Her and I uh, have a standing date night. It's a Wednesday night. Don't bother me on Wednesday night. <laughs> my phone's not coming with me on Wednesday night. I'm going out on a date. We have a standing sitter. It is every Wednesday night, 630. We gone. And so that to me has been one of the most important decisions that we've made in our mm-hmm. 13 years of marriage. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we have family days, which are Fridays. So Fridays are on our Sabbath. It's our rest day. Again, phones typically off. And we're going to do something as a family. We're going to spend time at the house or we're going to go out in our, in our neighborhood or whatever. So that's the second most important uh, day. And then uh, when you stretch out into the ministry sphere, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I think a lot of times people can be fairly demanding and so the urgent can trump the important. Mm. Yeah. And there's always the loudest voice typically gets the most attention. And so I've just learned my schedule's really, really, it's routine. I'm regimen in that and, and have standing meetings with uh, the right people. I have about, I would say, between 8 to 12 uh, people that I walk with regularly from okay. a ministry standpoint. Uh, some of them are executives, more father to father type conversation. Mm-hmm. And then I have a group of sons and daughters that I pour into and I'm probably at capacity. I just went on a, actually a, a, a lunch today with a, a new friend, hadn't been to lunch with him and mm-hmm. he was so enjoyable. I bet, you know, I become buddies. And so, you know, there's always room for new relationships, but I think when it comes to ministry, discipleship, I'm really trying to go a long way with the same people. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to pour my life into sons and daughters and build family as a father. And I think a lot of the people that know Upper Room, know people, a lot of them are worship leaders that are actually sons and daughters of Larissa and I. They're people Mm -hmm. that have walked with our family for years. And we have this platform that a lot of people are looking into and for me, it's just, it, it's really family. It's people that I knew before they sang a song or were on a stage, yeah. uh, they were a part of our family. And so we've just tried to protect those relationships. Mm. Uh, I do think we, we've, we've, we've made a uh, room for like our school. We have a hundred or so students that are in our school. So it's a little more intimate place of training, discipleship, but our church is a, a couple of thousand people now. And it's just not feasible for me to think that I'm going to I actually lament and miss those days where I knew everyone's name in the room, but it's just impossible. And so I think spending the uh, right time with the right people in a scheduled manner has been so crucial for me, specifically with my family. I'm curious if you've ever read the book, Master Plan of Evangelism. I'm sure he shares a common concept that other people have used, but 
I love it so much. And just um, looking at, he basically just looks at Jesus's life and, and says, Jesus, what was the master at evangelizing? So let's see what he did and do what he did. So he has these kind of circles, I guess, of three, 12 and 70. And, mm. you know, just looking at, at how Jesus was with the apostles. And it's like such a quick read, but so, so, so good. Highly recommended. Anyway, it just made me think of it when you were yeah, talking that, about, you know, just beautiful. I think yeah. his discipleship plan was was the best. Right? Yes. I mean, yeah. it's Jesus. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's incredible. The, the yeah. 312, 72 yeah. to 120 to 3000. Yeah. Wait, what was the name of the book again? Master Plan of Evangelism. Awesome. Yeah. I'll check that out. It's just such a cool truth, too. I think that what we do with other people ripples out into what they do in their lives, Mm -hmm. how they encounter the Lord ripples out into their everyday lives. Me drawing closer to God makes me a better wife and a better mother, which then pours into my kids who will have a ripple effect into the world. Mm -hmm. So the Lord Mm -hmm. is always so good and so gentle at getting us to uh, remember what's most important. For me, that's, that's my vocation and what He's Uh, called me to in my vocational and my walk um, as a wife and mom. And that that primary thing is ultimately what um, will bear fruit in my kids' lives and and in the world for his glory. There's a book called uh, Raising Passionate Jesus Followers by, do you know John Mark Comer? Do you know that name? Sounds familiar. He's an author, a pretty influential author, pastor up in the Northwest, but his parents wrote a book called uh, Raising Passionate Jesus Followers. And they they talked about if you had four kids and then your kids had four kids and then their kids had four kids. And like within, I think it was 10 generations of that cycle happening, just you discipling your four kids and then them following that out and being passed down, that you will have impacted like, it's like 18 million, 20 million people. Wow. Just what? The power of that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they were wow. like, it would be more than like New York City, Seattle, they name all wow. these cities about the power of discipleship. And it, yeah. isn't that what happened with, yeah. with Jesus and the 12? I right. mean, it, it went viral from yes. their, their message. And I think there is something really powerful about that. It's mm-hmm. really cool. Gosh, I want to zoom in on so many things that you shared. It's so good. But I have another burning question. (laughs) Just that we've seen witnessed in your life and your ministry in such a beautiful, gracious way. And that is how to deal with hard topics. Because when you are walking with people so closely, hard stuff comes up and you really, you love people so well. And you can see, you can feel the authenticity of that. Like what we see entering into prayer room or, or listening to you teach or preach is, is the fruit of the relationships that you have. It couldn't possibly be manipulated or, or fabricated. Mm-hmm. It's so clearly because mm-hmm. you're living that family. And so I just wonder how in those significant relationships in your circles, but but out into your larger church family, how do you deal uh, with hard topics in truth with so much love? Mm, that's super encouraging coming from you guys who are, you know, peering into our culture from Arizona. That that really blesses me. So mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. I don't know that we do it 
that well. I, I mm. we may have a you know better looks better f- from afar than mm. you know you get closer okay. and you're like yeah. oh my gosh this really isn't what I thought it was. We're not afraid of hard conversations. So yeah. COVID to the elections last year to the racial tensions. I think the gospel is uh, relevant to all of that. I talk a lot about coming to the table that the Lord uh, prepares a table for us as his people, that we can come to the wine and the bread and find him, but find one another in that place as well. Mm -hmm. And that in his presence, we can have conversations with those that we disagree with. We can have conversations with people that have a completely different orientation to these topics, specifically the racial one. That's a massive one. And we've encouraged people to come to the table to listen, to learn, to lament, to grow together. I've actually seen our community do that, but it takes a lot of intentionality. It takes Mm -hmm. sacrifice. It takes time. It takes being inconvenienced. It takes an extra night of the week. And so I think being willing to have the conversation and then setting a context up where people can actually have the conversation. Mm -hmm. And then one of the things I did is I had the conversation in front of our community. So I have some African-American pastors and I'm just like, hey, tell me what it's like to be black in America. Mm -hmm. Like I'm white. I'm a white North Dallas kid. I grew up in a mildly affluent middle class. Like I didn't grow up in South Dallas. I didn't grow up where you grew up. So Mm -hmm. what what was your experience like? I want to listen. I want to understand. I want to empathize. I want to grow and realizing my worldview isn't the only worldview. Mm-hmm. And and I, my hope is that they would do the same, really bringing mm-hmm. a person to yeah. a table that you know and you're in relationship with. It's not someone online. It's not an echo chamber. It's not just gathering people around you that they agree with you. I think that's challenging for us. I think we want to sit in our red and blue corners and our racially profiled places and just like feel comfortable about ourselves. But when I, when I reach out and I open myself up to that person on the other side of the table, I'm transformed and I can experience the Lord in a way that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that I haven't. And mm-hmm. so, and we use scripture as a plumb line for that. So scripture is our truth and what diagnoses us, what prescribes us, mm-hmm. it's the word. And so we we try to give people those tools and it gets really, really messy and really, really hard, but it's worth it. Well, I'm relieved to hear that it's messy and hard, <laughs> to be honest, because um, yeah. yeah, you all do it so beautifully. You know what, what we are privileged to be invited into, mm-hmm. again, is just the fruit yeah, of, you, of you leaning into it. Well, that's really encouraging. I think... You know, I, the George Floyd uh, situation a year ago was it was just a tragedy, one that we all witnessed. But that came after in 2000, I believe it was 15 mm-hmm. in the city of Dallas. There were five police officers that were murdered about a half a mile from the upper room. Mm-hmm. And we had upper rumors actually on ground that were ministering uh, mm-hmm. as this madman came through our city, just targeting police officers. And so we were really forced to face that conversation. We have a Dallas police officer that is dear to our family who he actually just retired, but he, he's been our police officer for over a decade. And we have African-Americans. And so we brought a police officer and African-Americans and we had a conversation about police and, and police brutality. And we had a conversation about African-Americans and 
some of the anger that's being projected onto policemen. And I'll never forget when, when they both fell before one another in tears, repenting on behalf of the communities that they represent for how they've wounded one another. And there went a dry eye in the place and the Holy spirit came crashing in and we began worshiping Jesus. And it was just this massive love fest of reconciliation around just facing the topic together and realizing we didn't have all the answers. We had one another and we have Jesus. And it's just, it's just, I don't know. I still can feel the love of that moment. And so that prepared us for George Floyd and, and not that you're prepared for something like a George Floyd, I don't mean that, but we actually had some tools to handle that conversation and God forbid there'd be another one, but we've got to, I think as a church, we've got to lead the conversation because someone's mm-hmm. going to lead it. Yeah. Black Lives Matter, CNN, Fox News, your Twitter feed, someone's going to lead the conversation. Yeah. And I just think scripture has a lot to say about it. I think leadership can be trusted and we as pastors specifically need to lean in in those moments and and allow the Lord to inform us how to pastor our communities, not just brushstroke it. Like mm-hmm. it grieves me that people, you know, when those issues happen, we just go along with our agenda. We don't mm-hmm. we don't actually, you know, chunk the plan and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Remember the insurrection that happened or whatever we call July yeah. 5th, whatever date that was, mm-hmm. January. I mean we chunked the plan and we talked openly about it. Hey, mm-hmm. this was this was a Republican, right? How do you deal with this if you're a Republican? How do you talk about this as a Republican? And mm. I remember it was one of the hardest conversations I've led because mm. we have a predominantly Republican conservative crowd. Mm. And and so we were I was, you know, forcing them to face some hard questions together. And it was good. I, I, all to say, it's just like it's not going to be done perfectly. You're not going to do it perfect. You're going to make people mad. People probably will leave your communities, but more will be relieved that you're doing it. More will be relieved that they have a safe place to open up mm-hmm. and start wrestling through it. And you may do it terrible the first time, but the second time will be better. And the third time will be actually momentous. And we've grown as a community, I want to say at least 20% in the African-American demographic wow. since last year this time. It's crazy the diversity that's hit our community. And I think it's just because we were willing to have some of those conversations. Yeah. I think it's just a, like Beth said, an incredible testament to mm-hmm. your boldness. I think even boldness and, and trust in the Lord, mm-hmm. uh, first and foremost, to know that even if we get it wrong, even when we get it wrong, the Lord's with us and He'll be with us in those conversations before and beside and afterward. So just, I, I think, a conviction in my own heart that I don't have to be afraid of it, that He's with us, that His truth is always the foundation of everything in every conversation in every relationship. So I don't necessarily have to have all the answers, but mm-hmm. I'm standing on, on that truth. There are so many cultural conversations that need to be housed mm-hmm. in the church. Wow. We need to own them. Mm-hmm. We need to lead out in them. We cannot be intimidated. We cannot be fearful. We've got to have a spirit of boldness and conviction when it comes to some of these issues. The Word of God is our plumb line. It is our standard. Mm -hmm. And we are living in an Isaiah 5 moment where we're calling evil good and good evil. We're literally allowing like iniquity and sin just to be carted around Mm -hmm. culturally and 
it's being celebrated. And I just have a deep conviction for my kids Mm. that, man, if we're not willing to have these conversations, Mm. they're going to have them on Twitter. They're going to have them on their social media platforms. And someone's going to disciple this generation. I just think it's time that leaders get bold and conviction, no matter the cost, coming back to our, yeah. our former conversation. And I actually think people are longing for it. So I just want to encourage, especially young leaders, like, man, Jesus is the way and the truth. And to know the truth is to know the person of Christ, but he has something to say about all of these mm-hmm. things. And so just that they would be emboldened, that they would... Mm-hmm alone in it, to not be intimidated or intrepidated by culture. But man, go to that river, find your five smooth stones, learn to use that sling and let's slay some giants. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. You know, I want to kind of put you on the spot just as we're coming in for a landing. We've been kind of following along with your 10 year plan, this, this like new vision that you have praying with you for that. And um, one of the things that is on your heart is women, what women have to offer the world for Jesus and through Jesus and with Jesus. And being that we are a women's ministry, Mm. (laughs) I just wondered if there was anything you would want to say to women in the church. Wow, we need you. (laughs) There is, I believe, uh, we have been operating as a community and communities of faith, not fully empowering women. And I I know there's probably a lot of theological grids that, you know, people that are listening. And I believe the Holy Spirit was poured out upon sons and daughters. And that the same spirit that's in me as a male is in you as a female. And I just want to give women permission, permission to fully be themselves in Jesus. So if you're a woman... Come on, we need you. Thank you. Thanks so much for sharing that. I got more there. I, I just feel like I scratched the surface, but yeah. <laughs> I, I am deeply convicted about God's call upon women and the, the whole like, yeah. f- you know, feminism, when you look at the women's movement yeah. and politically what's mm-hmm. happening. I just think there's a re- redeemed, like mm. righteous expression of that. Yeah. And I think the enemy's his hand. And I think there are Mm. women that are going to emerge that are going to be fiery, passionate, and really release revelation of Jesus that only they can. Mm. A a unique way that they've been designed in the image of that's so needed in our hour. Mm -hmm. So I'll leave it at that. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, thank you. Michael, would you be Uh, willing to close us in prayer? I will totally close this out in prayer. So I just want to pray for everyone listening and uh, that the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. sent by the Father at request from the Son in John 14. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will send you a helper. Mm -hmm. And I pray for all at the sound of my voice that the help of the Holy Spirit would come to you. And would meet you exactly where you're at. If you need peace, that you would receive peace. If you need healing, that you would receive healing. If you need forgiveness, that you would confess your sins to your Father in heaven who is faithful to forgive you. If you need strength, that you would know that His grace is sufficient in your weakness. 
if you need love, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit that bears the fruit of love, his unconditional love that casts out fear. If you need peace, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give you peace upon your mind, to guard your mind, to guard your heart. If anyone is depressed, if anyone is heavy laden, if anyone is burdened, I pray that the Holy Spirit would help you right now in the name of Jesus, that you could call out to him, that he's met you once, but he will meet you time after time after time. So I just declare the help of the Holy Spirit in your car, in your earphones, in your office space, in your study, in your bedroom, in your shower, in your bathroom, wherever you are, that the Holy Spirit would manifest right now. Release the Comforter. Release the Holy Spirit. We love you. Love you, Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for this podcast. We bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) You guys, bomb.com. So fun. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.